This is the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. Yes, as James Earl Jones just said, well, actually, as a sick Weldon Johnson just said, this is the Let's Run Track Talk Podcast, and this is your fearless host, Let's Run.com co-founder, Robert Johnson. I will be joined by my sick brother shortly, and as always, by our ace staff writer, Jonathan Galt. But what a week we have for you today on the second-to-last podcast of the year. And we've got a lot to talk about. Nothing bigger than, of course, the Foot Locker Cross-Country Championships, where dreams became reality for one of you. One of our very own, folks. That's right. One of you. The little listeners of Let's Run.com's podcast won the Foot Locker National Championships. We'll be talking about that and also a victory for Poland at Foot Lockers. We're going to also talk about the upcoming 2020 Boston Marathon. Des Linden will be going for the double, the Olympic Trials Boston double. Hopefully triple if she makes the Olympics. Our race of the decade is down to the final eight. We're going to talk about that. Some controversy, a couple races that I have been taken out that I'm not happy about. All of that and more, including, sadly, the death of one of the all-sports all-time greats. Three-time Olympic champion Peter Snell has died. We're going to have on a guest at the end of the podcast. Hayden Sherman, the host of the Kiwi Running Show podcast, will be on to talk about Peter Snell's death. Guys, welcome to the show. Where do you want to begin? I think let's let's just start with Snell briefly. I mean, we'll get into it. I had a conversation with Hayden Sherman, as you said, Robert, and we'll play that a little later. But just got to pay respect. This guy, absolute titan of the sport. Three Olympic titles. He's the last man to win the 800 and the 1500 at the same Olympics. He did that in 1964 in Tokyo. He also won the 800 back in 1960 in the, the Rome Olympics. And those, Robert, you pointed this out in the week that was. You had a nice remembrance of him. That meet, you had first two rounds were on August 31st, then there was a day of rest, and then the second two rounds were on September 2nd. So he had four races in three days with two races per day and one rest day. So, And that was just one of his many accomplishments. Huge impact on the training, you know, with being coached by Arthur Lydiard and sort of spreading that gospel, just a, a titan of the sport uh, passing away. Yeah, it'll be interesting to, to listen to that interview um, because, you know, for me, it, it was... I don't know. I mean, John Cog was our mentor, and he was a huge disciple of Arthur Lydiard. And Snell actually spent most of his adult life in Dallas, Texas, where, where Weldon and I are from. And, and when he died, I was thinking, like, why didn't we ever meet this guy, a three-time Olympic champion? I mean, I guess part of the reason why he moved to, to, to the U.S. was so that he wouldn't you know, have a lot of fame surrounding him. But um, I was pleased to learn this week that, that our mentor, John Kellogg, did speak to Peter Snow several times, but um, it was really interesting to me, John, that also he spent a lot of his life, like Arthur Lydiard learned this long distance stuff, run more than an hour, run a lot of miles. He learned that sort of by trial and error, but then Peter Snell spent most of his professional life sort of trying to figure out the science behind that and why did this work and pretty interesting on that front. Yeah. I mean, I always find it interesting how coaches sort of settle on their philosophy. Are they because most coaches aren't scientists. I mean, they do study exercise science. I think a lot of them know generally what's going on in the body, but they don't, you know, I don't think they're all just approaching training from a strict scientific standpoint. They're saying, hey, look, we've had success in this in the past. This might help this system. But yeah, I think a lot of good coaching like this, it sort of gets proven out maybe later by by the fact, by the, the, the research as opposed to them driving training because of the research is sort of just an interesting relationship there. I think Snell and Lydiard brought running into the modern era. Training now is sort of tangentially all sort of variants of, of what they introduced. 
And as Hayden pointed out in the pod in his interview, Snell he still has the Kiwi record over fifty years later. I mean, the guy would be competitive today, no question in my mind, if you put him on modern tracks and the extra science that we know. And he sort of like bridged the gap from the old era to now. I mean, it's kind of crazy, right? Like he retires and he's a spokesman for a tobacco company. I mean, it's, you can't make this stuff up. And then he becomes a heart researcher and exercise physiologist. It, it was pretty crazy. And then ultimately, the bugle sounds for us all. He had, essentially, I think, he had a heart attack, and that's what killed him. So he got the most out of his life. We got a lim- limited time. We're all blessed. And rest in peace, Peter. You'll be missed. Before we get to the next segment, guys, let's hand out the Let's Run phone number and a couple of sponsor plugs. If you need to reach us, unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, pick up the phone. 844-LET'S-RUN. That's 844-538-7786. Just hit 7 for extension 7 if you want to go straight to the voicemail. Or if you want to listen, reach one of us on our cell phones. You can hit a couple prompts there too and get that as well. So 844-LET'S-RUN. But guys, we need to make some money. Don't be cheapskates. Support Let's Run. If, if you're desperate for a, a Christmas gift right now, I have a way for you to give someone a nice gift and make yourself $15. Go to letsrun.com slash Amazon. Letsrun.com slash Amazon. Right there, you'll find a link. You can buy a $50 Amazon gift card, and they will give you a $15 gift card for free. Absolutely free. Letsrun.com slash Amazon. And you'll have that. You know, this is assuming you've never bought an Amazon gift card before. So there you have it, guys. It's one week till Christmas. If you're not panicking about Christmas presents to this point, uh, you probably should be. That's not a bad idea. Last minute, you can't think of anything. $50 gift card. So, yeah, really, you know, get on that if you haven't already. Yeah, but if if you're panicking and you want to go big, Normatec Recovery, the Pulse 2.0, the holiday sale is still going on. Save 100 bucks. You can still get it there by Christmas. The ultimate gift for runners. It depends on how much money, how desperate you are, and how good of a runner you want to be, right? I mean, if you want to recover like the pros, Normatec Recovery. All right, so no excuses, guys. If you haven't done your Christmas shopping or Hanukkah shopping or whatever holiday you're celebrating, or if you just want to give someone a gift because you're a nice person, plenty of options. And after Christmas, people need to start thinking about what they're going to be training for in 2020. I've got something for people. Olympic Trials Marathon Weekend. The day after the Olympic trials, the trials are on a Saturday. Sunday is the Publix Atlanta Marathon, Half Marathon, and 5K. Make it a great weekend. Go watch the trials and then run the 5K, half, or marathon the next day. Should Robert and I have a match race that day? Robert, I mean, this is all in the name. They're a sponsor. Maybe we should do it, you and I. We should, but I have professional broadcast duties. I will not be at the... Olympic Marathon Trials this year, folks. Breaking news. I'll be broadcasting as usual on ESPN Plus, that is, ESPN Plus. But, hey, Ivy League Championships are February 29th as well. So I will be up in upstate New York in my former home, Cornell University. Well, probably the Olympic Marathon Trials, it's what Let's Run.com is about. It's how the site came about. Its birth was me training for the Olympic Marathon Trials. And Robert's not going to be there for the biggest event every four years in let's run.com i think he maybe he should start to start 2020 in suspension i think it's only appropriate folks last week in the show we jokingly said that usatf had granted me retroactively due to the vaporfly technology granted me a 2000 olympic trials qualifier but i've decided to turn down that 
honor. I, I didn't earn it. I'm not an Olympic trials qualifier, and it's just a little bit too raw to show up at the trials this year to when I came so close 19 years ago. Well, I guess it'll just be me and Weldon then. And big, big weekend, actually. Not only the Olympic trials marathon, the Brighton against Crystal Palace in the Premier League is that weekend as well. Speaking of, we just had, just had a showdown this week. Brighton won, Crystal Palace won, my team against Weldon's team. Well, kind of Weldon's team. He was like, wait, who are all these players? I haven't been watching them that much this year, but... Uh, yeah, that's your soccer talk. With It's my team, John. I'm a Crystal Palace for lifer. Let's get to a race that took place over the weekend, the 2019 Foot Locker Cross Country Championships. That is the high school individual championships for any uh, international listeners we might have uh, in the United States. And it was in San Diego, Balboa Park, and very two different races, I would say. It's sort of like NXN. The women's race was very close. The men's race, not so much. Congratulations, Josh Methner, Let's Run.com listener of Illinois, and Zofia Dudek of Poland, and who le- currently lives in Al- Ann Arbor, Michigan. They are your champions, and I want to start with the women's race, because that was really the race of the day. Dudek wins it, 16.45 for 5K as a high schooler. I don't care what course you run that on, that's, that's incredible. And she did it, it was the fifth fastest time in Balboa Park history, and she needed to run that fast to beat Molly Stolliper. 1646 for second place. That's the sixth fastest time in Foot Locker history at Balboa Park. And they were the fastest time since 1994. Just a phenomenal race. We had them battling back, you know, over the last 400. Stalipa led off the big downhill. Dudek then made a strong move with about 400, little under 400 to go. Stalipa's hanging in there. It was, it was very reminiscent to last year's race, actually, between Sydney Mascarelli and Caitlin Hart, except, uh, they were even faster this time around. And then Abby Vandekoy, a sophomore, she ran 16.55. You'd never before in Foot Locker history had two women under 17 minutes on the Balboa course, Balboa Park course in the same race. And we had three on this day. So really a, a women's race for the ages. Yeah, it really was a great win. I mean, Dudek, you know, is now the eighth non-U.S. born winner of the race, the second non second woman not born in the U.S. to win the title. She's the European under 23,000 champion, but she's kind of come from nowhere in the sense of like, I mean, last year she didn't even make the Foot Locker meet or the NXN meet, and now she's the national champion. I mean, in the spring, she did win the Brooks PR in the mile, so she it's not like she, she was already one of the top talents by the spring, but really, you know, had a fantastic you know, I guess last, if you, if you count track and, and then cross country just last year and, and that's at 20, 2019 has been amazing for her. Um, and then, you know, w- one thing that was interesting to me was the totally speed ratings. You know, we, we t- Bill Milan creates his speed ratings, kind of like the buyer speed ratings for horse racings, you know, to try to compare different cross country courses. And I'm like, what's she going to get on this race? And because it was, you know, the fifth and sixth fastest times in history, he gave her a 169, which was six points higher than what was at the NXN meet. So that would mean theoretically that she would have won the NXN meet by 18 points. Now he's written in the past about how Foot Locker generally produces a higher speed rating, but uh, you know that that gives us to the debate, John. Like Caitlin Tui, she's won three straight NXN titles, undefeated on the year, yet Star, uh, yet uh, Dudek gets a higher speed rating. So. Who do you think would have won? Well, I mean, it really depends on what version of Caitlin Tui you're getting. Like, this version we saw at NXN clearly wasn't Tui. That was not her at her best. Uh, she did see, admit sort of the pressure was getting to her, and I don't know what else, but sometimes runners just have bad days. She had a bad day, but she's so good that she was still able to win the race. And then you look what Tui did 
she raced over the weekend as well this past weekend at the USATF Club Cross Country Championships in Lehigh, and she was racing against a lot of post collegians uh, and you know pros, and she she got second in that race in six k race at Lehigh, which I think that performance is probably as good of, if not better, than what Dudek produced. So really, if you're getting Caitlin Tui at her absolute best, I'm taking Tui, but. You know, as we saw, some people don't like look. Just look at Molly Stoliper and Taylor Hewitt. Those are runners. Taylor Hewitt ran fantastic. She almost beat Tui at NXN. wasn't really close to Dudek at at Footlockers. But then Molly Stoliper, she almost beat Dudek at Footlockers, and she wasn't close to Tui at NXN. So it's really you know, there's a variability range of variability for every runner. Well, I mean, you guys really should be just praising Josh Mather, our listener. But before we do that, real quickly, one thing on this. We got a, some feedback last week from a listener named Uncle Ollie. And Uncle Ollie wrote, The course conditions because of the weather at NXN were not ideal for running, which surely played into a factor in Caitlin Tooley's slower winning time. And I, I know speed ratings, they try to factor in course conditions and stuff, but like, isn't is a, like a muddy course ever going to have a super fast speed rating? You're not going to like... I guess you could beat someone by a lot, but I think... Uh, it's, it's an imperfect science, right? If you could handicap horse races and bet them just on speed ratings, Andy Byer would be a rich guy. Is it Andy Byer, like the runner? How do you say his name, the Bayer speed ratings guy? I think it's Bayer Bill speed. My Oh, oh the, the horse racing one. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I thought you were confusing that with uh, Bill Malin or Mylan. Yeah, yeah, I do think it's hard because the, the course conditions make it a big difference. Well, then, you know, I mean, maybe Tui's not fantastic in the mud or doesn't like the mud as much. You know, they're totally different course conditions so it's hard to compare and in the week that was you know i, I said look Tui's already run a 170 at another race one a let's run.com visitor tried to create a speed rating for the usa club nats he also created a 170 so like she's done over 170 several times in her past whereas this is sort of dudex best career rating so i i think that the edge would go to Tui. but i think debates like this are good for sport i, I do think it's sad though that you know the, the beauty of footlocker was everybody showed up and now we kind of have that split between the two races. Thankfully, Methner, while he did win Footlocker, he didn't win an XN. I don't think there's any debate as to who would who, who is the sort of boys' mythical national champion. Nico Young deserves that title. But I think we're going to have Methner on the podcast next week, so maybe we can ask him. Hey, is, is Nico the man, or, or, or do you still deserve a shot at it? Well, yeah, and I think that sort of throws, that shows, like, what we were saying, like, oh, is it possible to get a really high speed rating in the mud? Well, Nico Young crushed everyone in that race, and he got a pretty, I think it was like 205 or 206, which is a very high speed rating for the boys' race. So it is possible. Um, one, one other thing, before we, uh, you know, keep some more praise on Josh here, is Zofia Dudek, this needs to be noted, on the Sunday before Foot Locker, so six days before the race, she was running the European Under-20 Cross-Country Championships in Lisbon. So, and she finished fifth in that race, representing Poland. Comes back, stays in, goes back, flies back to Michigan, then flies across the country to San Diego. And on the Saturday, so six days and about 6,000 miles later, she goes out in Foot Locker and runs her best race of the season to win that race. That, that is a pretty impressive uh, week for, for a high school athlete. It's amazing. Can we not hear this crap about how you can't run two races in a back-to-back weeks? I mean, come on. She just proved that you can. She did it on two different continents. She, she's just really – it's kind of an interesting story. I mean, I heard she's going to Stanford now. So her dad's an economics professor. That's why she's been in the U.S. I think she's been in the U.S. for six 
six years, six not six continuous years, but I think it was like fifth, sixth, and seventh grade, and then now 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. So her dad's an economics professor at, at Michigan now, and she's going to be going to Stanford, so I'm sure he's pretty happy about that from an academic standpoint. But really cool story there um, on her front. And I want to say one other thing about the girls' race. Remember, guys, a few years ago on the website, I don't think we had the podcast regularly back then. I, I know I posted it on the forum. But, you know, I've got my, my three or four friends that are my go-tos on this podcast. I've got my rich friend who's the money man who tells me advice about that, gives you all stock picking tips. I've got my high school expert friend. And I've also got my feminist friend who gets me out of jail whenever I talk about the transgender issue. But I'm going to go to my high school expert friend. And a few years ago, he said, look, he texted me. I think he was in the cross country or maybe it was in the track season. He's like, Grant Fisher isn't even the best high schooler in the state of Michigan. And at the time, this was blasphemous. Grant Fisher was winning every cross-country race. He was the best boys' distance talent. And he's like, Donovan Brazier's more talented. Now, what, four years later, five years later, Donovan Brazier's a world champion? I mean, I think that guy has been vindicated. The same guy last year texted me and he said, Marley Stahlheiper is going to be better than Caitlin Tuohy. So there you have it, folks. Just a little birdie told me. Person is a high school expert. I wonder if he listens to the podcast. You forgot to say your feminist friend who works for, worked for Hillary Clinton. That's usually how you refer to her, Robert. Yeah, you didn't give her a full title, Robert. He just abbreviated it to feminist friend. Yeah, we, former Hillary Clinton speechwriter. I mean, you got to give her all the honorifics here. Just one, one other thing about the boys' race. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Robert, you kind of gave Methness some crap for committing to Notre Dame a couple weeks ago. I don't really know why, but... I'm just saying, number one and number two finishes, so Methner and Carter Solomon of Michigan, they will both be going to Notre Dame this year, and they're adding to a roster that already has Dylan Jacobs and Danny Kilray, who won three at Foot Lockers in 2017. They were both top 50 at NCAA Cross this year for Notre Dame. So, you know, the Irish building something out there in South Bend. And Methner just dominated the boys' race. He took off around halfway and never looked back. It'll be great to talk to him because... I can't imagine being in a national championship and just saying, hey, yeah, I think I'm just better than everyone else. I'm going to run away from them. Robert didn't give him enough credit. I'm sure the NXN was just like a regional for him, and this was the champion championship. That's a joke, but it, it's cool to have him win footlockers. It's like the one thing we've never really been to. You know, I've been to Olympics. I've been to world championships. But Foot Locker is kind of mythical to me. Like, I, I wasn't good enough to even sniff getting to Foot Locker when I was in high school. What, did you ever run the regionals well then? Um, I think my senior year, I had to go from Texas to North Carolina, which is kind of problematic. I went, I think I ran like the B race. Is there a B race? Yeah, well, there's like a senior race. Oops. I ran that. Didn't do very well. I was proud to be the number two man on my high school team. My teammate was trying to make it. And I think he finished like twelfth in top eight of the twelfth. Oh my god, that's when eight made it. Yeah, he was that's really a, good. I mean, he was yeah, top right. ten two mile in the country back then, which was nine twelve for thirty two hundred, which is crazy. Yeah, uh, you got t- you probably probably people running nine twelve that didn't even make footlockers this year. Uh, wait, Robert, did you ever run footlockers? That would be a negative. Oh wait, that reminds me, John. Thank you very much. Last week, Robert claimed to have been the number three man on our high school cross-country team. And I think he might have been the number four. I'm, we may have to, like, fact-check this. I, 
Wait, we didn't fact check. I apologize to West Alaska. Of course, I was number four. Wow. I wasn't. That that was not even. That's not even debatable. West was. I was never as good as West as a senior. I had some injury problems, folks. Well, last week you claimed. I mean, you're making all these claims, and if you're going to run for mayor of Baltimore, we got to get this stuff. Good thing we're catching this early. If yeah, wow, this is a Paul Ryan situation here. Uh, Robert exposed by Let's Run.com. In case you guys don't know what we're referring to, Paul Ryan, former vice president, presidential candidate, lied, uh, exaggerated about his marathon time. And that's one of the ways we actually hired Eric, our web guy, made a website. It's called like Paul Marathon, Paul Ryan Marathon. And you put in your marathon time, it'll quickly spit out an adjusted Paul Ryan time. And when we were asking for help, we just posted in the forums, so like, we want some help from some web guys. And Eric's like, I have no formal experience. I just love programming on the side. Here's what I've done. And however many years later, he's still working for us. So that's... Wow. What year was that? 2012? 2012. I never knew that. Maybe Ryan, maybe he just had access to the Vaporflies before everyone knew about it and uh, artificially bumped up his time. That's funny. Um, Yeah, no, I, I... Speaking of the Vaporflies, folks, I have some breaking news. It's time for our weekly Vaporfly segment. And late last night, I got an email. I don't know if you if you guys were CC'd on this or not. I think it came from Costa Rica. Every year, folks, we do our Let's Run to come into the year rankings. And every year, we sort of let Let's Run super visitor David Graham, who's a doctor, I believe, in Costa Rica. He writes the marathon rankings. We often just use those and put a few comments below it. Does an amazing job. But I, I have breaking news. He sent me an email entitled, No Marathon Rankings This Year. This email is incredible, folks. I'm going to read it in its entirety. I have no marathon rankings to offer this year. I do not because times are a part of what to take into consideration when valuing one athlete's results over another. Not just for the current year, but for comparison with historical controls. Since all marathon times among the elite have been artificially boosted by shoe technology. I cannot compare current marks with others run before 2016. The time before the Vaporfly. BV, he says. Lots of results after 2016 have left me suspicious. I remember first raising an eyebrow while watching the Dubai Marathon in early 2018. We're late in the race, not one or two, but rather seven men were in pack on a pace to run 204. All of them did it, with the top five breaking the course record. The lone Adidas athlete, Tamara Toa, seemed frustrated to have broken his own course record from the year before, but nevertheless to have finished third. After the race, as I read the results from road race after road race last year and this year, my suspicions mounted about shoe technology, about the shoe technology advantage, not just at the marathon level, but at 10K, 15K, and half marathons. The breaking point finally occurred the second week in October of this year. Still reeling from the news, of the 37-year-old Kenny, Nise, Kenny B's shocking 201 in Berlin and L.A. Kipkoge's sub-2 performance in Vienna. That race revealed how much pacing in the shoes helped. But are we really going to believe that even though Halle Garbosi has had slightly superior times to Kipchoge from 1,500 meters to the half marathon, that Kipchoge is nevertheless capable of running over four minutes faster than Gab in the marathon? Yet it wasn't that that broke me. It was Bridget Koskai's world record the next day that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Paula Radcliffe's Bimanesque world record had been untouchable for 16 years, with no one getting within a minute of it. Yet Coast Guy, without aiming for it, not only broke the record, but did so by a whopping 81 seconds. With that, I threw in the towel and admitted that neither Santa nor today's marathon times are real. 
Wow, that that's heartbreaking to hear from uh, David. Yeah, beloved reader and you know opiner on the marathon. Uh, it, I feel bad that that's the way he thinks thinks about it, but I gotta kind of disagree with him. I mean, yes, the vaporflies have changed the marathon, and it has sort of changed what we think of as fast times, but. That's sort of been, that's been changing for a while, you know. Deborah Selassie, I don't think people would compare his times to Abibi Bikila and expect them to be exactly the same. You know, you know, there are some technological advancements. Obviously, the Vaporflies have sort of hopped everything in a time machine and moved them way forward. But to me, one of the biggest appeals, and this came up actually in a Twitter debate this morning about our race of the decade. Ross Tucker was shocked. He's like, I can't believe that. The 2018 Berlin Marathon, where Elliot Kipchoge broke the world record, ran 201.39, beat out the 2010 Chicago Marathon with Sergei Kabede and Sammy Wanjiro just throwing haymakers at each other the last couple of miles. And he's like, look, it's, it should be about the racing, and this is people are going crazy about the times. And I think, to me, that shows you can still appreciate a great race. Just because two runners are wearing vapor flies and running faster than before you can still have a great battle to the finish as we saw this year in Boston or this year in Chicago with the finishes there on the men's side. Yeah, you can still have great racing. Yeah, the times, okay, maybe the times don't mean as much as they did in the past, but it doesn't, I still am excited to see these guys race. I'm still excited if Bekele lines up against Kipchoge in London next week, next year, which, spoiler alert, Elliot Kipchoge will be defending his title as it was just announced. I'm still going to be super excited for that race. And yeah, the times, okay, the times, we're going to need additional context to figure it out, but it's still going to be a great race. But John, you're missing the big point. Kipchoge and Bekele both are Nike athletes, and it's an unlevel playing field and something needs to be done. I think it might have been the same Twitter debate, and I wish I could credit this person. Maybe we can find the tweet and put it in the show notes. And someone's like, well, technology's always changed. They used to race in center tracks. The spikes aren't what they once were. And this person said, yeah, but everybody raced on a center track at the same time. Mm-hmm. And now they don't. Like some people have a shoe. Some people have the version of the next shoe. Some sort of basic rules need to be put in place. And I applaud David Graham for saying, look, I can't make sense of this. And last year, I think, when Bekele ran 201.39, at the time, we were all like, oh, my God, unbelievable. This guy's so great. And I remember thinking, like, wait. Let's just wait. Let's make sure this wasn't the shoes. And this guy was... Kipchoge, you mean. Excuse me, Kipchoge, right. Yeah. And then Bekele came back and ran to a 141 this year, and we're like, okay, so the shoes are a huge pro- component of this. But no, it, I mean, that's a little unfair. Like, it's not just... Kipchoge is the GOAT. I, I know he has the shoes, but... Oh, I guess... He, do you disagree well, then, that this guy... I think, to me, with the weight rate he's winning, and he's beating other people in Vaporflies... He's clearly the best marathoner of all time. I don't think it's open to discussion. Do you do you disagree? You think he's just the best because he has better shoes? He never loses. So that was one thing you pointed out. He deserves credit. I think he's like, what, 10 of 11 now or 11 of 12, whatever the number is. So, yes, he's the greatest marathoner ever. But he also now usually has one, one version of the shoe ahead of everyone else. At the London Olympics, only like three or four people had the shoes. He was one of them. And at the Berlin, and he kicked their asses. Right, he won, but the rest of the field didn't have them. At Berlin Marathon, when he set the world record, he had the next year's version's prototype. No one else had those shoes. When he broke sub two in the exhibition thing, forget about and ignoring the pacing, he had the next version of the shoe that no one else has. So he races at the Olympics. At the very least, he'd be better better, better be wearing a shoe that everyone else can run in. Look, 
I, I am as anti, or I've been on this Vaporfly thing more than probably anybody, but I don't necessarily have a problem with what's going on now. You can go out and buy a pair of shoe of Vaporflies. Now, you can't buy what he wore in the Sub 2 thing, but I don't want to disparage Obelia Kipchoge. Of course, he's the greatest. I mean, for the most part, these pros all have access to these shoes now in the last year. And that's why you see the numbers skyrocketing. I mean, I, I have the stats in, in the week that was, but it's pretty amazing. Like, just look at this year, the, the most number of sub-230 marathons ever in the history before the Baby Flies come out was 208. This year, it's 324. That's up 55.8% from the all-time high. This is by women, to clarify. Yes. For the... For uh, oh, for the men's stats, I was looking at the number of sub two to ten marathons. The record before the very flies was two hundred twenty one. This year it's two hundred ninety four. That's a thirty three percent increase. And you have similar stats for a sub two ten marathons for the men. Sub two tens, the record in any given year was sub two five marathons. Excuse me, in any given year was eleven in two thousand twelve. This year we've had seventeen. That's up fifty four percent. So. It's made a huge difference, but Kipchoge, before the Vaporflies even were invented, was amazing. I mean, 2013 won Hamburg, second in Berlin, Rotterdam, Chicago the next year, London and Berlin the next year after that. And then, so, you know, he won five or six marathons before these even came out, which no one else does. So, but we, we they just, we, there's no doubt anymore with these stats, you know, that I got, I got, I got the idea of going that in depth from Tony Ravis, so shout out to him. But it's just like, in the last year, it's become crystal clear how big of a deal it has and what a huge impact this technology has had on the game. So I'm not really opposed to it. As John Kellogg said, we want better shoes. We've got them. That's fine. If if we're going to stick with them, that's fine. But we need to figure out a way for everybody to have them, which I guess they could just go out and buy them. Or if we want to get rid of them, like the, the swimming day with the swimsuits, I don't have a problem with that either. But to act like Kipchoge is by far the greatest marathoner ever, that's what, I mean, by far, you know, he's been World Athlete of the Year two years in a row. I'm not even convinced that his world record is that much better than what, it's not that much better than anyone else's run. 201.39 is only two seconds better than what Bikili ran this year. And I'm not convinced it's that much better than what Gabriel Celestia, those guys ran back in the day. Well, okay, but here, here, all right, here are a couple points in Elliot's defense. One, 2015 Berlin Marathon, remember that race? He ran 204 flat, which is one second slower than Gebrselassie's PR. He did that with the freaking soles of his shoes flapping in the wind behind him. That is one of, I, I still, still doesn't make any sense to me. I was like, he would have, he probably would have had a shot to break the world record that year if he didn't have that and was running in constant pain the whole time. So that to me is ridiculous. The, the other thing about Michele his dominance, it's not just that he blows people away, because he doesn't always just blow people away from the gun or, you know, from the halfway. Just like winning Kipchoge. time after time, race... Sorry, but yeah, Kipchoge, Kipchoge. Race after race, time after time. We've never seen this level of consistency in the marathon. Usually, Before Kipchoge, if you got to be the best marathon in the world, you win maybe... If you won three majors in a row, that was phenomenal. That was really hard to do. You were the best in the world. We're like, yeah, you're the best. Kipchoge has not lost since 20, 2013. It's just, to keep winning at this rate is astounding. That's why I do think he is by far the best marathoner ever. Yes, I agree with you on that. He is the best runner. I could move world was a little, was quite that negative on him. But for everybody else and for the times and the historical context, the shoes have ruined that. And can we get the music, please, to the weekly Alberto Salazar segment? When they turn into the 
apart. Seems like the wind might be in their face. It's Salazar, Salazar, Salazar. How big of an asterisk are we putting on Rupp's medal? Because I don't think Rupp medals in 2016 without those shoes. <laughs> we know you bring it up every week, Robert. <laughs> Couple points. Okay, I'm I'm not trying to argue that Kipchoge isn't the greatest ever. I'm just saying it's hard to compare his times to anything in the past. The guy never loses, and his run with the flapping shoe was nuts. So the fact he lost didn't lose with a flapping shoe behind him is crazy. The only time he lost was the world record and one other time, or is it just a world record race? Just 2013 Berlin Marathon when Wilson Kipsang set the world record. I mean, that's crazy. Having said that, when he raced Gaiadolo in 2017, Gaiadolo wasn't wearing the shoes, and Kipchoge was, and it was a very close race. So, John, in that race, would you be open to the possibility that Gaiadolo might have beaten him if he had the same shoes? Yes. So I think that's where we want it to be fair. We want a level playing field, and they've just said, like, anything goes, and... I don't know what the solution is. You know, some people say that it'll self-regulate, but right now the changes are so quick. The thing I don't understand is like, how did all these smart shoe designers never figure this out before now? We had like pr- probably tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars going into shoe research and no one figured out this pretty simple way to make a better shoe until now, a faster shoe. You could say that about almost any invention from humankind. Right. Like, how did we not figure out this until it existed? How did we not figure out that until it existed? Like... I don't know. It it takes a brilliant mind to come up with some of these inventions. I certainly would. If it was so simple, it would have come out already. Yeah, I think. I wonder if like everyone was in the minimalist thing. Maybe a Hoko like with the big stack heights, and then they went from there. I don't know. I found that the tweet that I was referencing. It's actually from a, a uh, pro runner, Tim Tollefson, who's actually a Hoka runner. Um, he said, at least at the time, the athletes competed on the same surface in a given race. Now you have some racing on cinder, others on grass, and the winners are on Mondo, all in the same race. So the point being, it's not exactly a level playing field, which we want it to be. So hopefully something can get put in place by the Olympics. Or we just say, there will be no rules, but at least now, it's not as bad as it was in the past. My initial, and I think all of us, we like this idea of saying, like, whatever shoe is commercially available on January 1st, 2020, you can wear that in the Olympics, and then everyone can go out and buy them. The problem with that idea is... A lot of these companies that are trying to, to mimic the Vaporfly, New Balance, uh, Saucony, Hoka, you know, they may probably have unreleased shoes that they're going to try to, you know, as we said, just give to their pros. So that might be in a violation of a rule like that. So maybe, you know, the IAAF would have to say, well, this is similar to the Vaporfly so they can use it. It would take sort of some, you know, discretion on their part to, to look at the shoes and figure out, you know, is this a different type of shoe or is it similar to the Vaporfly, that type of thing, because... You know, in an ideal world, you wouldn't force, you know, a Saucony athlete to wear a pair of Nike shoes, you know, if, if, if Saucony had a sort of unreleased prototype that was similar to them. In an ideal, it would be a little bit well, better. Well, Saucony is coming. They've already said they're coming out with their shoe that Jared Ward's been racing in. That It's coming out publicly next year. They've been pretty upfront about that, I think. Yeah, but what if it's not quite as good and he doesn't feel comfortable and wants to wear his own, you know, the night? I don't know. We'll, we'll see. All right. Well, I think... Well, anything else on shoe talk, or can we let this topic die for another week? Well, I just was—I was just more concerned about the Alberto Salazar segment. It was very short, so <laughs> once again, give the man I, his I due. Always reach out to Alberto. Alberto, although you're banned from the sport, you're free to listen to the podcast and come on at any time. I will give you a segment every week. I don't think I can pay for it. We don't have quite the resources of Nike. We hope to one day, but 
just sort of. Well, actually, well, I wanted to mention this because we're coming out with some decade awards for Let'sRun.com. And one of the awards that you suggested was like person of the decade, which similar to like, you know, the time person of the year where it's not always the best person. It's just sort of the most influential person. And one of the candidates you suggested was Alberto Salazar. And I'm kind of wondering, like, who would we is is he deserving of this as sort of the premier coach, the rise and fall of Alberto Salazar in the 2010s? Is it whoever came up with the vapor fly? Do they is it Kipchoge? Who should be? The Let's Run Person of the Decade. Robert, you're raising your hand. I assume you're not nominating yourself and you actually have someone to, to suggest. Well, I don't want to give it to the Vaporfly. The Irish Times has already named the Vaporfly the sports global, the global sports star of 2019. I think Salazar is perfect for it. And he's perfect for the decade in the sense of like, what are we, we've been hearing cycling marginal grains and all this crap. And, you know, but Salazar represents like doing Everything you possibly can to be the best, whether it's on the gray line or over the gray line or just behind it. And honestly, the vapor fly in 2016 was over the gray line. It's not, it's, it's tied with Nike. Salazar's tied with Nike. This all goes into Nike about just do it, baby. And, you know, I, I think that he took it too far and it's sort of, but and once you're on the wrong side, now people just pile on. You know, I, I was reading it. I think it was in the Wall Street Journal today. There was some sort of I forgot what the article was about. But it's like America is either like they like to think of things as either you're the best and you're pure as white snow and you're the most amazing thing ever, or you're the worst and you're the devil. There's nothing really in between. It's either yay or nay. So he's unfortunately on the nay for his for, for his right now. But I, yeah, I, I, he would be a great candidate. I mean, who else do y'all have as options? I don't know. Rob, you were you were complaining about people piling on now that he's been banned, though. Would you are you saying they should have piled on before he was banned, like you were doing? Well, listening to the podcast last week, John, you piled on O.J. Simpson. You said, why would we want a building named after O.J. Simpson? Well, last time I checked, O.J. Simpson wasn't I didn't wasn't know that O.J. Of- was a sacred cow on this podcast. I think it's fair to pile on this guy. He's well, a pretty bad dude. But it's interesting. We all assume he's a bad dude, and we all view him as a murderer. He was declared not guilty of murder. I'm aware of what happened in the O.J. Simpson trial, Robert. But why did we wait for—, for then it's ironic because then we waited for Salazar to be convicted of doping, even though he didn't dope any real legitimate athletes. And yet, well, not a lot of appeal, people waited for this. A lot of people in the, the sport kind of, or and before that appeal is even over, we've already vilified him. So it's interesting. So if we if we can judge some people without a conviction, why don't we just hey that yeah? And that's where I was. I thought this guy's shady all along. So, but now I'm kind of like okay, but look, he's shady. He's not necessarily Hitler. Alberto is great in so many ways. Like, one, look what he did as a coach. And for athlete of the decade, I think you've got to, of the distance running, it's like Farah or Kipchoge, right? Those are your options. And, and for the maybe men. Maybe Rhodesia. For the men, maybe Rhodesia, but fine. I mean, there aren't a lot. Well, what a. So Alberto coached them. On the women's side, the most amazing performance ever was Sipan Hassan's 10K 1500 double at Worlds this year. Alberto Salazar coached her. And then all along, you have all the allegations, all this stuff. Centro, he coached an American to gold in the 1500. Wait, he would coach Centro too? Like, this is nuts. It's so crazy because, like, in the whole 2000s, Alberto was, like, trying to be a good coach. And we were like, oh, this Galen Rupp kid might be pretty good. But, like, holy crap, I'm not even getting credit for Centro. So you have all of these things, amazing performances. And then the sort of downfall, it's really there. 
And Robert's talking about the devil and the black and white. Last week, I sort of touched on these things, Salazar's Catholic faith. We probably should have a religion segment every week now. But I have a a, uh, feedback from a visitor. And this is on Apple iTunes. So everybody go on there, rate us five stars. And this guy's comment after his five-star rating is, a true and sometimes controversial analysis of all aspects of the sport mixed with hilarious banter by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of Let's Run.com. I love that. Wait, wait who's, who's which That's, the, That's question. the question. Let's open this up for debate. one let us run option seven. Who's the Father, who's the Son, who's the Holy Spirit of Let's Run? I think, I mean, the, the reviewer before that said, the facts may, might not, Rojo always bringing the heat. The facts might not be facts. The logic might not be logical. But the takes are always hot. So I'm going with Robert for the spirit, the Holy Spirit, you know. Yeah, I think Weldon father. Weldon's about to be a father in real life. Uh, I'm the son, and Robert is the Holy Spirit. I, I think that's the has to be the assignment of roles. Wow. I need to take my my father role more seriously. I guess I'm God, and John is Jesus. I mean, that's a pretty big role to play. And, you know, is Jesus God? Let's get there next. Weldon needs to be the father, I, I thought, but sometimes also I think that I'm like, I kind of am the son that's being reprimanded by John. So anyways, one last thing about Salazar, you know, Weldon talked about how in the 2000s he didn't have anybody good. And then all of a sudden this 2010 to 2020 he's coaching the most dominant winners ever. To me, what's interesting was he was tinkering with all this crap for a long time. You know, the carnitine and the water treadmills and all this stuff. And then I, I've heard now sort of, that he'd actually learn from some of that. And now he doesn't and supplements and now he doesn't like give the, he didn't give, wasn't giving at the end. He wasn't giving his runners any supplements except for maybe iron and was just sort of trying to just coach them. And he, I guess he realized like, Hey, none of that crap matters. It's kind of like Peter Snell. Peter Snell's like, get fit and then race. It's like, yeah, if you recruit the best talents from Africa, you get the best talents on your team, get them fit. They're going to dominate the world. None of that other shit is necessary when he started getting the Safana Sons and joining his team. Well, the, the crazy thing to me, the L-carnitine, when he found L-carnitine, he was like, this is the most amazing substance on earth. We can, it's legal, still legal. You can use it to boost your performance. And, you know, he, he's sending the breathless text messages, Lance, I've tried it and it is amazing, or emails. And, it, like, if it really was that amazing, every runner on earth would be using it now. Or not every runner on earth, maybe some people view it as crossing a line, but Salazar certainly would, because, again, it's legal. It was just the way they injected it was illegal so it's it's just like was it just a fad did it ever actually work would l carnitine make my voice go back to normal i might take this shit i don't know weldon i feel like you uh you lend this podcast a, an air of professionalism with sort of the the deeper voice and the, the this is let's run.com well know? i'm i'm trying to you know take my father role to heart so i think it's appropriate for today when i'm all right guys the other big story this week des london comes out yesterday she, along with seven former Boston champions, are all headed back to the Boston Marathon. But no, she is not skipping the Olympic trials. She's going to do the Olympic trials on February 29th in Atlanta and then do the then do Boston 51 days later, John? It's April 20th. So, yeah, 51 days. That's right. Yeah. So I support this move. I mean, we all, we all made the case earlier in the year for why she should run Boston. She's already made two Olympic teams she doesn't she's probably not going to medal this year even if she does make the team and she's going to get a nice fat paycheck from boston she loves running boston that's why she's doing it this time and i 
I really think it's a win-win for her and John Hancock, which organizes the elite field in Boston, because she gets to run the trials, which she still wants to do, and she's planning on taking a spot to Sapporo if she... Are we sure? Is it Sapporo or Sapporo? I need to get a handle on that pronunciation before the Olympics next year. Whoa, John, as a beer drinker, I'm kind of shocked you don't know that. Sapporo. Sapporo. Okay. I don't know. I, I don't know the pronunciation of every beer. But uh, I have had a Sapporo, I believe, in the past. Anyway, so yeah, she, she's still going to go to Sapporo if she makes the team. But Boston, I, I, it's not too close to the Olympics that would really affect her ability to, to run both races. And I think even if she's not at 100% or if she has a hard time rebounding from it, John Hancock and the BAA, they're not going to mind that she's coming in less than 100%. They can still use her to promote it. You get the shots of her running through Hopkinton, all that sort of stuff. That's all great. Des gets a kick out of it. I, I don't see, that. you know, all right, do her chances to win go down? Yes, I would say so, but her chances to win weren't great anyway. So I, I think I don't see who's the loser in this situation. I think it works out well for everyone. I think about five or ten years ago, this might have bothered me. I used to think, oh, they're in it for the money. Now that I'm a father myself and, and more worried about money than when I was in my 20s and didn't care about money, like, who cares if they're worried about money? So, and w- one thing, I, I was very impressed by her race in New York. I saw her attacking that race with passion. I'm like, this woman's not just in it for the money. She's got a drive. She, she thrives on it. She still loves it. So I've got no problems with it. And I've got to give a shout out to Rachel Bachman of the Wall Street Journal. She's got an article on this today. And she reminded us, I, I forgot, 2011, Meb ran New York. And then it was a little bit more time. 69 days later, he got second in the trials and made the Olympic Olympic team. So I remember at the time thinking, oh, Meb's in it for the money. Well, he made both. So you said she's not going to medal. Probably not going to medal, John. No, she's not going to medal. And no, she's not going to win Boston. That being said, somehow she did win Boston in the past. So it's kind of weird. And she got second. She almost won Boston twice. She finished yes. second by two seconds, Robert. So I, I discount her. I, I love her. I'm afraid she's like listening to the podcast. She's going to come kick my ass. But like I talk about an asterisk with Rupp's medal. Like two guys. Well, I'm going to ask Weldon this. Weldon, do you know what her time was when she won won the Boston Marathon? Weldon, no Googling. I thought you were going to say, started to say like 237. I think you wrote about it recently. I think it's like 237. 239.54, well then. She won by four minutes as well. You got to give her credit for that. I mean, the woman behind... It's almost like there was no winner. Like, what if everyone had dropped out of the race and some six-hour marathoner won it? I mean, Des is like the ethos of Let's Run, where your dreams become reality. Because I would give her, like, no chance winning Boston, and she's almost won it twice. It's crazy. She's not winning Boston again. I'll say that, but I didn't think she would. We said Meb wouldn't won Boston. Right, She's exactly. Meb I mean, was when crazy. he won. <laughs> it's so great. Okay, yes or no? Is she on the 2020 Olympic team? Oh man. Uh... Wow, I didn't. Need, I don't even need much analysis. I'm just saying yes. I, I, before this field was really deep, I feel like people are hurt and injured. Shalane's not running. I'm trying to think who else has been hurt. I don't know. I guess you got Huddle and Sisson, but Hasey's been hurt. So who's who else is going to beat her? Yeah, I think the Hasey thing had the. I didn't realize how serious her injury was, and said she was back to running fairly quickly, but it didn't seem good. I think she's sort of an injury risk at this point. And then you've got Huddle and Sisson, and I think after that it's probably well. And then he, Amy Cragg, who the hell? How healthy is Amy Cragg? I think she's also an injury risk. Like, um, right. 
right now, I would say she's on the 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 uh, Linden's on the team. But check back in two months, I might think differently. It's I don't know. It's such. It's going to be such a great race of the trials. John's always big on pronunciations. Is it Craig or Craig? I never thought about it. But that sort of Soon spelled like Craig, Craig, like like the aggro Craig, you know, and the. Well, you guys probably too. It's off to your time. Uh, in guts, Nickelodeon. You know, uh, you know, yeah, you know, you got you me, know. John. They had this big mountain they had to climb. It was called the Agro Crag, and I think it's the same thing. When we're talking about OJ Simpson, is Josh Metzner thinking it's like I don't know? When I hear somebody talk about, I have no idea. Well, the Josh, the OJ Simpson trial. I was like four years old when it was happening. So Josh, he would have been like. Oh my god, he's like eighteen now. It would have been like fifteen years before he was born. Wow! Um, wow! So you have no memories. My wife barely remembers it. It was just effing awesome. I won't tell you where I was because I was a little bit older than four. Yeah, that's no. Well, I, I no. It would have seemed. Could you imagine living through it on Twitter? I think. I think my brain would have exploded. Yo, talking about OJ Simpson, I was looking up the U.S. Marathon stats. I remember where I was. Well, we had to run a, a running workout. It was in the summer. And the thing went on all day, and we kept deciding when to do the workout. We were going to wait for the whole thing to come to its climax. And then we decided, well, shit, this keeps going. So we warmed up and then tried to turn it on again on the radio. And then. Yeah, no, whatever. I totally remember. That wasn't the verdict. I think that was the chase. That was the chase, yeah. The chase, like we were watching live on TV. We had to do a workout. We went out up at night and we're like listening on the, all the radio stations were chronicling LA, OJ driving through LA. I was thinking we were streaming it, streaming it. Like the internet didn't even exist in, which is nuts. It was during the NBA finals, Knicks Rockets. It was like one of the most surreal events that ever happened. Like they cut into the NBA finals to show this car chase. I don't know. Yeah, if you haven't, we're probably preaching to the choir a lot of these, uh, a lot of people right now. But if you didn't, if you don't know anything about the O.J. Simpson case, you need to like go on, watch Ezra Edelman's like six-hour documentary on it. It was one of the most insane things ever. Um, Robert, we didn't give an answer though. Is Des Linden on the 2020 Olympic team? I was just was trying to get all my my big key players in there. John once again left out Kellen Taylor, but. Um, we got Sarah Hall at 222.16, Emily Sisson, 223, Amy Craig, Des Linden. Des only the sixth fastest American this year, Molly Huddle. I'm going to say yes. I don't know who she's going to – I mean, I, she's just the more consistent than the other That's people. That's the thing. Exactly. Huddle, Huddle has not impressed me recently at the marathon. Oh, Craig hasn't done anything in a couple of years. What are the odds she's going to be healthy? Hesse, same thing. So then that just leaves, I mean, I'm most confident, well, Sisson, but Sisson wasn't good this year in the track. So like, if she runs a solid effort, it's probably second or third. She's going to need these three other women to run an A effort to beat them, and I'm not convinced there's three other women that are going to run an A effort to beat them, to beat her. Right. I think she just shows up. You know you're going to get a good, strong race from Dez. She's not going to do anything to beat herself tactically, and she know, she knows how to make these teams. She will be the th- first woman ever to make three Olympic marathon teams. In some ways, it's kind of like this footlocker race of this week. Like, okay, we know Des is going to go out and run a, a 170 speed rating. And, you know, are there three other women that can run a 172 or one or three or, to beat her? Yeah, Sarah Hall on her best day, once in her life, has run a 222 marathon. Let's see that again, Sarah. Projo throwing down the gauntlet to Sarah Hall. All right, guys, I think that's going to conclude our sort of running news of the week segment. And now we're going to get to our interview with Hayden Shearman of Kiwi 
the Kiwi Running Show podcast and reminisce a little bit about Peter Snell. Hayden's got some good stories, gives us sort of the reaction in his native New Zealand. And then after that, we'll come back, talk a little bit about message board threads of the week. We'll talk about the race of the decade bracket uh, and a couple other fun things before we wrap up uh, and get to the holidays. So here is Hayden Shearman. All right, and now I am joined by Hayden Shearman. He is the host of the Kiwi Running Show podcast. He's coming to me from the other side of the world in New Zealand, where it's probably you know somewhat warm spring day right now, as opposed to snow on the ground in Boston, where I am. And we're talking a rather sad occasion. It's the death of Peter Snell, all-time running legend, three-time Olympic champion, multiple world record holder in the fifteen in the mile and the eight hundred meters. Uh, he died last week at his home in Dallas. And the running world's been paying our respects, and it's we figured who better to talk to than a Kiwi. So Hayden, what what's the vibe like in New Zealand right now with the passing of a legend? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely definitely a shock on on Saturday to wake up to that news. And I mean, sort of selfishly, one of, one of the reasons we started the podcast was like we want to interview a lot of those legends from Lydiard's, uh, Lydiard's age and um, Snell was definitely right up there on our, our list but obviously being based in Dallas is, it's been a bit hard to, to connect with him um, but yeah it's as far as the local media goes he's been you know front page news ever since so in the last sort of five days which is uh, yeah in a, in a rugby mad country that shows the the gravity that that he's had as an athlete, and um, so he was our our athlete of the century um, in the in the twentieth century. And when you when you consider, you know, rugby is essentially the national religion here. Um, the All Blacks are the the heroes. For him to out outbid all all those guys for for that title of athlete of the century is amazing. Um, so certainly there it's. It's been cool to have lots of reflection on on who he is and, and sort of remind Kiwis of the um, the legacy that he left in the black singlet um, and and yeah but um, so there's there's mixed emotions of of sort of celebration remembering what he did and and obviously sadness. He's one of those guys I knew I knew he was really really good but. It wasn't until he sort of dies and you start looking at all the accomplishments, or at least for me yeah. in the States, I'm looking at what he's done. I'm like, oh my God, some of the stuff he did in his career was just exceptional. I mean, if you look, 1960 Olympics, he wins the gold. They had to run four rounds back then. Yeah. Two set, The first two rounds were on the first day. They had one day of rest, and the second day was the semi and final on the same day. I mean, that to me is crazy. And then you've got, he breaks the world record in the 800 meters, he, he smashed it 1.4 yep. seconds on a grass track in Christchurch. That record wasn't beaten for 11 years. I mean, just some of the stuff and then winning the 800 and the 1500. No one's done that at the same Olympics since. And it's been, you know, over 50 years since uh, Tokyo 1964. I mean, yeah, were, were you, did, did that strike you too? Or did, were you, did you always know like this guy's just the, the stuff he did was ridiculous? Totally. I mean, it was definitely he's been the number one in people's minds. I remember just last week actually having a chat with a running mate, you know, who's the goat, who's the New Zealand goat. And for every runner in New Zealand, Peter Snell's right up there, you know, John Walker's in the list as well. And people often throw out Nick Willis as well, just, you know, longevity. And 
competing in a different era. But um, yeah, Peter Snell, when you like you say, when you rattle off those accomplishments, and even in Tokyo, he had six races over eight days. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you watch those replays of those two finals, it's like he was in an, in another league, especially in the fifteen hundred. Just just coast, you know, with 300 to go, uh, okay, guys, I'm, I'll see you at the finish line, just switches on the afterburners and, and crushes it. And I think the other thing that stands out to my mind is that 800-metre record is still the New Zealand national record. Yeah, that's, that's insane. <laughs> and up until last year was the area record, so the Oceania, so that includes Australia um, and the Pacific Islands. But the fact that up until last year, not even an Australian or a Kiwi had had broken it, and I mean, right now we've we, we've got a couple of one forty seven, maybe one forty six guys, but like no one's no one's come close to one forty. What was it? One forty four three. Yeah, on grass, which I think is still the fastest time ever on grass. <laughs> I, I hope I assume they measured it right, but when you watch the replay of that race, it's um, he's he's so far ahead, goes through in fifty one and and holds on to break the. Uh, 880 yards and, and the 800 meter record. Yeah. yeah. No, I would advise anyone listening to sort of just go on YouTube, type in Peter Snell and just start digging around because like you said, some of his races, like the Tokyo 1500. Yeah. He won that by 1.5 seconds and all of it came in like the last 200. That I mean, I can't remember a more dominating move in an Olympic 1500 final. And then so, some of this other stuff, I mean, the 800, actually, the one thing that also impressed me, though, was his, his patience in the, the Rome final in 1960, because I was watching that one as well. That actually reminded me of Nick Willis, because Willis, when yes, he battled yeah. in Rio, he he waited a long time, and finally something opened up, and the same thing. Snell was, like, horribly boxed in on the final turn, and then waits for this running lane to open up, and then suddenly he's coming up, and, you know, he's right on the shoulder of uh, the world record holder from yeah, Belgium, Mons, Roger Moens, yeah. and pulls the upset. Yeah, amazing. And yeah, I, I, was, I watched it just the other day. And likewise, I definitely thought Nick Willis, like he, he was on on the uh, right on the inside, boxed in, and you're just like screaming at the <laughs> screaming at the TV set, like, come on, get out of there. But um, yeah, and at that time, he was absolute no name. He was this young kid from the other side of the world who had done nothing um, up to that point, aside from you know, Lydia training, um, running in the hills out the back of uh, Auckland. And, uh, yeah, and, and I guess, like, for me, like, slight change of tangent, but for me the big thing that stands out is the, the butterfly effect that he's had in, in the world of running, and especially here in New Zealand. Like, if if Snell wasn't in that Lydia group, uh, you know, which was based on mileage and, and volume uh, for a big part of the year, um but he came in with the, all this raw speed. So when it switched to, you know, the hill phase and then the, the interval track um, speed phase, um, he was able to bring that, that speed to the table, which lifted the likes of Murray Helberg and, and Barry McGee and the other um, John Davies, who got third in that, um, that 1500 in Tokyo as well. So, yeah, I do wonder what, what that butterfly effect was to lift that group, lift Lydiard's legacy, um, and then go on to, you know, the teenagers back home in New Zealand watching that 1964 Olympics were the likes of John Walker and Rod Dixon, Dick Quacks. And so in the 70s, they took up that, that mantle of running in the black singlet and um, basically started a, a running revolution in a rugby-mad country um, here in New Zealand. So, 
it's um and i don't think i'd be running now i i sort of was reflecting on it um back in the my my coach was influenced by that Lydiard era that mm. era of, of idolizing snell and um, and then he convinced me to get into running. So, yeah, the flow-on effects are, are huge, and I'm sure there's a lot of people around the world. Um, similar to, say, someone like Steve Prefontaine or, um, yeah, every country, I guess, has got their, their hero, um, but certainly Snell was that in New Zealand. Yeah, no, I think, you know, you, you said the impact he had on you as, you know, a runner in New Zealand and New Zealand runners, but I think his impact was was global in terms of, the Lydiard system, you know, and it wasn't just him, it was the other guys, you know, Halberg and them who were running with Lydiard, but that model of training was not widely known. It was sort of revolutionary at the time. And now it's sort of the staple of a lot of modern endurance training. I know one of my favorite running books is running with the Buffaloes. That was one of the first running books I read. And it's about the university of Colorado cross country team in the United States. And so in the introduction of that yeah. book, they're talking about, uh, the Lydiard way. And that sort of influenced Mark Wetmore, who has gone on to become, you know, coach of Emma. He was coach of Emma Coburn when she met at the Olympics and then coach of Jenny Simpson when, you know, and all she's done in the 1500. And obviously he's won a lot of cross country titles in the U S and he's just one of the guys who's been influenced by, mm. you know, just by this system that Snell really helped popularize and showed that it worked. Yeah. And yeah, when you look at someone like Snell, you know, he was five ten, um, but he was 80 kg. Um, so I don't know what that's in pounds for all our American listeners, but it's heavy for, I'm 5'10", and if I'm over 70, I'm, I know that I'm in the heavier range for race weight. So so it's about 176 pounds. I just did the conversion, yeah, which, yeah, is pretty heavy for a distance runner. Yeah, So and it just shows like that um, he had that background of, of aerobic fitness and um, that engine to, so you add that to, you know, he had great wheels. I think um, when Lydia had met him um, when he was sort of 17, 18, um, he was like, look, you've got the speed to be a, a world beater. Um, and so add, add the aerobic engine to that speed, that natural speed, and, and voila, there you go. You've got, a, you've got a champion. Yeah, no, I think that's – I was reading, like, some articles about him, and that was basically the thing was how – he, he essentially said, look, the speed component is most mostly genetic. Like You can train it, you can work on your speed, but you need to have a base level of sort of fast twitch fibers to be able to, to run that fast and to close hard. But the aerobic component, you can really you know train that over a long period of years, and that's really what they did and helped him get the strength to go through these rounds. But what, what I feel I find very interesting is the current world champion, Donovan Brazier, in the 800 meters, he does essentially the opposite he does very very little mileage at all i think his longest run of his entire life is about 8.1 miles or something <laughs> and i thought you're gonna say like 820 meters <laughs> <laughs> no no but i mean honestly like i don't know how long the intervals he does or what his tempo yeah. runs are but they're not long at all it, it that's why one of the reasons i think the 800 is such a great event because you've got guys like snell who could be one of the all-time greats and he's running you know 100 miles a week in the in the base building periods and he's doing a ton of mileage and all these hills and then you got brazier who is essentially just a pure speed guy with the great natural endurance base it's a great crossover event yeah absolutely and i think like looking around i'm a coach here in new zealand and looking around at the way that we coach especially young athletes in new zealand i think we've we've probably missed the missed a bit of a trick with the 800 uh we've we've looked at Snell and said, Oh, well, that's just the way that you do it. That's the way that, but he came into it, you know, he was a 
very um, up there tennis player. That people have said that he could have been an international representative for tennis up to age nineteen. Um, and so you come into that with all that that speed and power and sort of plyometric training that you get on the tennis court, and then you cross that over into into running. So it's yeah, I I do worry that we we been too too long or too much focus here in New Zealand on that that aerobic side and, and don't consider that need to build that natural speed as well but um, I would love to see that national record go down at some stage I, I guess that's we've talked on our, our podcast like what will what national record do we want to see go down and one of them was the marathon Rod Dixon's marathon record so the Robertsons have taken care of that one um, but yeah we definitely want to see that um that, I mean, it's a grass. It's a grass record. We're going to say yeah. we, we, want, we really want to see that one go down. So we're hoping some some young kids can come through and take that one out. But there's always an allure to me with some of these records that last so long. Like I, the Canadian record in the marathon stood until last year. It was set, I think, in the seventies by Jerome Drayton. And yeah. when the when a record keeps going for that long. I kind of never want to see it broken. I'm like, oh man, like Johnny Gray's American record, the 800, that was only broken this year. It stood for about 34 years, I think. And it was only broken this year by Brazier in the World Championship final. And I'm just thinking, all right, it's it's cool that Brazier got it, obviously. But part of me is like, man, how long could this thing stay there? And the fact that Snell's this cross track thing, I mean, I don't know. I I think it would be awesome if it lived to be like 100 years old. You know? yeah. yeah, well, it's 1962, so where are we at now? 57-odd years, so it's, yeah, it's past the half-century. <laughs> That's amazing. How competitive do you think he would be like these days? i got to think, running 144.3 on grass, you know, you put that on a modern track with modern spikes, he'd have to be right up there with the very best in the world. Absolutely, and you throw in like modern modern medicine and modern other shoes. <laughs> I didn't want to bring that that topic up, but yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Who knows? I mean, you look at his his technique in those those videos, and you're just like, wow, yeah, he's he's poetry in motion, like a, a Radisha. Um, when um, yeah, you see him coming down that home straight, his beautiful style, just so much strength, um, eating up the chewing up the the turf, so. Yeah, I, I'm sure he'd be super competitive these days. Yeah, I, I mean, careers were just shorter back in the back in those days. Like he retired. I think it was basically 1960 to 1965 was sort of his major career. And then he he was only 26 when he retired from the sport. Yeah, so obviously it was the the pre professional era. And a funny story, like towards the end of his career, he started doing work for a, a tobacco company. Here, so you know, sort of quasi sponsorship. Um, doing promotional tours for them. Um, so, yeah, really interesting transition. But, yeah, I think it was partly the realities of life. You've got to get on and, and make a dollar. Um, and partly, uh, you know, he's an intelligent, smart guy with, with ambitions elsewhere. So, um, as many of our listeners will know, he moved to the States and ended up doing a, a PhD at Washington State in exercise science and uh, then moved down to Dallas and um, it's kind of been there ever since doing doing research and um yeah so he's got a a career that's i'm sure people in his in his world of of science would would talk about all of his um yeah what he's done in the in the world of exercise science as well so um talent intelligent man definitely yeah it reminds me of banister a bit yeah all he did after his running career but it's it's interesting the irony of him 
being this world-class athlete and then what going on to work in human performance and you know exercise physiology and being sponsored by a tobacco company i just find it's, <laughs> it's delicious <laughs> it's not going to happen again <laughs> yeah all right but well before i let you go hayden any other fa- any other favorite snell stories you want to share or anything else you want to say about the man yeah i mean there's a few stories of particularly uh those early days when he was um training in New Zealand and obviously most people didn't have TVs in the, the late 50s, early 60s. Um, so uh, there was a story my dad just reminded me of uh, the other night. He, he was running through the back streets of some small town and um, maybe doing some strides up and down the street and, and, and an old guy goes up to him. It's like, who do you think you are? Do you think you're Peter Snell or something? Um, and, and he had to convince this old guy, yeah, I am Peter Snell. <laughs> and this guy wouldn't believe him. So, yeah, some some classic stories like that. Um, I'm actually heading up to uh, to our first sort of opening uh, track meet of the season here in New Zealand, and there'll be uh, Barry McGee, who was um, the bronze medalist in the marathon in 1960. Um, he's still coaching, um, and I'll, I'll been looking forward to picking his brain and um, hearing some more of those stories uh, so there's still a few guys around from that from that era um, yeah that are they're keeping the memories alive all right well Hayden really appreciate you having having you on and talking about uh, Peter Snell and his legacy and again a, a huge loss for the sport but you know appreciate you talking to us and if you want to listen to more of Hayden or New Zealand running Kiwi running show podcast check that out after you listen to the let's run track talk, track talk podcast. Thanks so much, and um, really appreciate what you guys do. Keep up, keep up the great work. Um, best website on the planet. Oh, you heard it. That this now. I knew I liked you. Thank you. Know, there we go. Uh, all right. Thanks, Hayden. Awesome. Cheers, mate. All right, guys. That was some looking back. Now let's look forward. The race of the decade is in full swing. We are getting closer to crowning a champion. Right now, we're in the elite eight. Voting for the elite eight ends on Thursday night. The 19th of december at midnight eastern time so whenever you're listening if you're listening to it before then get on the website and make your voice heard uh we've had a lot of interesting stuff go down so far already though any reactions robert weldon from the first first three rounds which are now yeah my bracket's busted Uh, you know i'm kind of i guess i need to get steam up it's like the ncaa tournament every year you got a few upsets early on you're doing well in your bracket then it falls apart and then the final four comes around you get excited again but Evan Jager's steeple in Paris is out, defeated by Emma Coburn's world championship. I get it. Fine. Great. But I love that race. So a little disappointed that it's gone. And we've had our first number one seed go down. The Kabeti wanjuru race at the 2010 Chicago Marathon or something. That's why that one went down. That was an epic race, but it was too long ago. People don't remember it. You know, Josh Methner was nine years old when that race went on, so... All I know is this this number one seed going out, the 2010 Chicago Marathon, that's an absolute disgrace. I was I logged into the computer last night. I'm like, okay, the voting closes. I want to get my vote heard. I mean, I knew that it came down to one vote in one of the matchups in the first round. So I was like, I don't want to see one of my favorite races go out because of one vote. So I get in there, and then you vote, and you, you know, you're, you're curious as to what's it going to look like. And I, I saw that that race was losing to the world record race. I'm like, that's absurd. Yes, the world record seemed impressive last year. It's no longer impressive now that we know about the vapor flies. We can't give them credit for that and the sub two. So which is it? Either or. So uh, I looked and I thought, okay, well, I can 
get into like that was on Chrome. I can log in on Firefox and, and uh, Safari, and then I've got I've got a laptop. I could probably get like four or five votes in without being spotted by the spam. Shoot, software. do we need to do we need to impeach Robert for meddling in this election? Wow. So I did vote more than once in the first round, and that was the difference in that first My round matchup God. between 2019 Berlin versus 2018 Boston. It doesn't say only one electoral vote per fraud. He has committed it. He is yelling it from the rooftops. People indict this man. Hey, it's just I. I, I I'm gonna let me. I even there's even more that you're gonna be more outraged about. So I, I haven't even finished my story yet. Thank God he doesn't know how to get in the database and change the results. <laughs> so the 2019 Berlin beat out the 2018 Boston race by one vote in the first round, and I voted at least twice. I was very happy about that one. But here I was like, okay, one vote's not gonna do it. It was like, you know, several percentage points. So I thought briefly. I'm like, wait a minute, can I take out an ad? on Facebook and run it in Africa <laughs> and get like, you this know, is make, the Trump run, playbook right now, <laughs> run it just in Kenya. And then the Wanjuru fans will come out to the woodwork and vote for the Wanjuru race over. Kipchoge. Who's Mac- also Kenyan. Brilliant. Oh, that was strategy, the problem. Robert. Yeah. That, so that's what I was worried about. I'm like, wait a minute. They're both African though. So I, I couldn't figure out a way to do that. So John, it's kind of like Donald Trump. I, contemplated committing a high crime misdemeanor, but I didn't actually do it. I didn't, I didn't. You can't, no one can be imprisoned for attempted murder. I didn't do the Facebook ad, John. Trump sent that money to Ukraine. He thought about not sending it, but he sent it. Uh, now, now we're going to get, you know, we had, we was there a call between Robert and the Kenyan president to rig some of these votes? So he was going to withhold. We're not going to recap any Kenyan races unless you promise to vote for this race in the race of the decade bracket. This is ridiculous. Wow. Should we have a, like a steel dossier in Robert? Does anybody want to make up some information on Robert? Send it to us. We'll read it on air next time, please. <laughs> uh, no, I think, well, I think it's interesting though. 2010 Chicago, Robert, you kind of, mentioned this and then uh off the air you know a lot of people who are voting in these matchups maybe they weren't huge running fans in 2010 i know i was a runner but i didn't actually watch 2010 chicago live i didn't hear about it until you know well after that race whereas i did watch berlin you know the world record live and i don't know if you want to blame someone Blame millennials. Blame the young, the people below the millennials who might not have the appreciation for this slugfest and are just sort of swayed by the more recent shiny performance. Yeah, I'm going to blame a term that Tony, Tony Kornheiser said he just learned, recency bias. Just one's more recent than the other. But yeah, if Mikhail had run three seconds faster, he'd have the world record and we all would be voting for this race. The 201.39 was one of those ones a year and a half later. It doesn't look nearly as impressive. I mean, obviously, it's the world record in the marathon, but it's it's not what we thought a 201.39 was two years ago. And shout out to the Great North Run, encouraging people to Twitter to vote for the race. But the only problem was the voting closed. Voting closed last night. We're doing the voting very quick, so you guys got to get in your votes for the final eight. John, can you take a look to see, did they get enough votes in after the shout out to, to take the lead after the fact? We could... Count the hanging chads and give them the victory. Well, like Robert trying to manipulate the votes once again, I should expect nothing less. One of the you know from your bag of underhand tricks, I can look that up. But while I do, I just would like to mention you know we did mention recency bias has played a f- factor, but in our final eight, it's not all 
recent. We've got 2010 Peyton Jordan, which is the earliest race on this list, and that's still in there. Uh, that was May 2010. You got the 2012 Olympic 800 final, which continues to just steamroll through everyone, and I kind of think is just going to win, and it's not going to be that close, but that's still in there. You've got the 2014 Boston Marathon. You've got two races from 2016, so the Olympic Men's 800 and the Olympic Trials Men's 5K. You've got 2017, the Women's Steeplechase at Worlds. 2018 Berlin, 2019 Women's World Championship 400 hurdles. Those are the eight races remaining. So it's a pretty nice mix uh, from from almost every year is represented. Though there were, you know, we were getting some complaints. I think Ross Tucker on Twitter said his favorite race of the 2010s was Ibrahim Jalan beating Mo Farah, upsetting him at the 2011 Worlds, and that one didn't even make it onto the list. So it was very hard to come up with that bracket. Do you guys think that was an omission? That's an omission, but speaking of omissions, I've got a bigger omission. I'm still pissed off about this one. I'm surprised there hasn't been outrage on Let's Run. Donovan Brazier's American record gold medal world championship run. How did that not make it? Didn't even, it's not, you're telling me that's not one of the top 64 races of the decade? He broke Johnny Gray's American record. Now, maybe the problem was, like, we had the American category for, like, American-only races, but that was one of the top 16 American races of the decade. But we probably were trying to slot it in the international category, I think. Yeah, that's that's what we would have had to do. And here's the thing. It was a f- it was phenomenal. Like, the race itself, though, it was a phenomenal accomplishment by Brazier. Really fast time, broke a historic record, broke the world championship record as well, and won gold. First man to do that from America in the 800 in the world championships. But... The race itself, I kind of knew as soon as the gun went off. I'm like, I, I know what's going to happen here. As soon as Wesley Vasquez went to the front, I'm just like, Braze is better than everyone. He's going to sit on Vasquez and kick. The, dr- the dramatic element wasn't there, but that doesn't always matter. Like Kipchoge, we all knew Kipchoge was going to win Berlin in 2018. It's because he crushed everyone. That's what made it so impressive. So it sort of comes down to what makes it the best race. But yeah, you could argue that that race, certainly there's an argument to be made it should have been there, but when you're comparing it, against all the other international races, it's it's hard to make that cut. I'm going to give a shout-out to the great North Run PR director. I, I thought about giving an extra day because we got we got up the votes a little bit late on Monday. It was only like a day and a half, and if you're in Britain, you're already asleep one day. You're probably asleep when this came up. You only had one day to vote. It's kind of like the first round. We screwed over the people in Asia voting. They almost got ahead. It's now a four-vote difference, John. More than a yeah, thousand. Yeah, so the vote tally was... They were up, they were down fifty one point seven to forty eight point three. They're now down uh, by fifty point two to forty nine point eight. So they did make up some of the difference, but it's, it's too little, too late. Hey, there's voting rules. You got to follow them, unless you're Robert Johnson. No, I believe in that, and I believe in ID at the voting booth. Hot takes, political opinions, in hour three coming up with Eric Westland on the ground in Iowa. Uh, okay, all right, guys. All right. Yeah, that's Race of the Decade. Shall we move on? Weldon hit us with some message board goodness. Well, I think we can kind of run through some top threads of the week because we can real quickly just say a few things we didn't talk about. But these threads are all sort of relevant. We kind of mentioned this. The number one thread of the last week, Tui finishes second in pro 6K race. So this is the Club Nats. She gets second place. Impressive run. But as we said, the Club Nats is sort of like B-team pros. But it shows she could be a B-team pro right now. JV pros. JV pros. 
Wait, wait, yeah, wait, JV, that was the time with JV Renner. We sort of said anyone who's not like the gold medalist at Worlds is JV Renner. But if you're the high school national champion, I think you're not in the JV. So, you know, we got, it's age graded. Um, number two, controversy at USATF Club Nationals. Ten men cheats. Okay, I promised someone on the message board, if the original poster of this thread is listening, you should be ashamed of yourself. I said that I would say that publicly on air. They started a thread about whether Tinman, which is what's, what's the guy's last name? What's his first Tom name, Schwartz. John? Tom Tom Schwartz. Tom Schwartz, coach of Drew Hunter. He's got his own post collegiate club that he's you know you know self coaching out in Boulder. They win the club nationals in a dominant fashion, and someone's like, should they be disqualified for not wearing the same uniform? So I'm thinking people are like, of course no, of course not. If you run, you know you win, whatever. But I'm like, well, I care if people are wearing the uniform because. Imagine going to a cross-country race and everyone's just wearing a random uniform. You'd have no idea what's going on when you're standing there. It'd be impossible to watch. And since these 10-man runners are all with different sponsors, I thought like this person was implying, you know, one was wearing a red Nike singlet, one was wearing a, a, a green Adidas singlet, etc. No. The photo is posted on like page three. They're all wearing like identical white singlets. Most of them have an Adidas emblem in them because most of the guys are sponsored by Adidas. There was like one or two people, including Morgan Peterson, who won the race, he had the same singer, but instead of an Adidas emblem, he had like some triathlon. He's a triathlete sponsor, like three six one or something on there. It looked identical. They were wearing. You would have no problem if you were running that race. If you were watching that race, they were a team. Shameful post right there. And speaking of Morgan Peterson, can we give him a shout out? This guy's a pro triathlete. He just shows up and spanks everyone at USA Club Nats. I mean, granted. It's not the elite of the elite in the U.S. distance running scene, but there's some decent guys in that race, and he's not a full-time runner. I mean, he obviously he was good in college at Colorado, all-American cross-country runner, but to go out there and win it as a triathlete, I was I was blown away. That was really really good stuff. So Tidman coaches his running side of things. I didn't realize that. I didn't either. Apparently, I think Sam Parsons said this on Twitter that Morgan was sort of like one of the first guys post collegiates that he actually coached um, in Boulder. And then Morgan sort of made the transition to triathlon. But I, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I guess he trains with them sometimes, or I, I'm, I need to clarify this relationship. I guess as a reporter, I need to get on that. But Morgan, cle- you know, clearly he's close with them. Morgan, a former runner at the University of Colorado. So it's not like his background wasn't in running, but super impressive to go out and win that. But, you know, if we're, if we're discounting two a second place and we're playing up his win, uh, I don't know if that's fair. So it's, uh, the standard should apply to both. It's not the top-notch pros, but it's pretty impressive to win by no, a lot. I, I think it's consistent. You discount Tui's win because it shows you that a triathlon can win this race. A triathlete can win this race. So this isn't the best, the cream of the cream of the American pros. So to get second in it is good, but you're not beating the Carissa Schweizers of the world. Okay, staying on club nationals, we'll jump to the fourth most popular threat of the week. Mary Kane siding. Kane returns to action for first time since May, finishes 33rd at Club Nats, one minute behind Tui. Glad that she's racing. Results not very notable. It's not not particularly good, but it's good that she's running and, you know, seems to be healthy. And hopefully we can start seeing her make some progress in uh, indoor track. Most of all, just hope that she's enjoying the sport. Seems like she is right now. Uh, I, John, I hope that she has progress if that's really what she wants. To me, though, she's not going to be an elite runner. I hope that she understands that. I don't want to see her ch- – if she's enjoying it and loving it and likes being a voice and a leader of, of the of the women's movement, that's great. 
you know, because she does have a public profile. But if she's trying to recreate her old glory, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Over under four ten in the fifteen hundred, I'm going way over. So I, I, I just, I, I don't want her chasing something that's not going to come. If her goal is to be an elite pro, I think she's making a big mistake in trying to stay running. I'd rather her go find passion in biology or become a doctor or whatever she wants. But if she's enjoying it, all for it. Wow, I'm not sure what you mean by elite pro. Four ten is an elite, but like. I think the question might be, what, does she get back to her old PRs? I mean, she did run that. Mary Slaney sort of tailed off. I'd like someone to come back with the stats for Mary Slaney and see what she came back to do. But you guys are pretty dismissive. Of- well, maybe she could run 410, but she's not going to run under 405, which is what you need to do to be relevant. I mean, you got to run under four pretty much to be super relevant internationally. So, Well, look at the U.S. team. Nikki Hiltz was our third best 1500 runner this year, and she ran 401 in Doha. Like, you have to be Sinclair Johnson ran, what, 402 this year. Kate Grace is still there. I mean, you have to be very close to four flat to make the Olympic team next year. That's not going to happen for Mary Kane. But Kane, one thing you guys, I added this the week that was, she went out very hard in this race. She was only like, I think, in halfway or whatever. At some point, there's an intermediate split. She was like eight seconds back. So she faded. So I don't think 33rd is indicative of where she would have finished if she just even paced it. But No, oh, so then maybe. I think that shows her competitiveness what Mary. she's trying to do. She's trying to be super elite. She still thinks of herself as a pro runner. And I think that's the one thing she's got going for her. She has immense talent. And a lot of people in that's run are saying she should just focus on the eight. So, you know, body type probably isn't important. They're like, Alberta was trying to make her a long distance runner. And then some people are like, look, why isn't she an 800 meter runner? So, uh, Robert's favorite say, f- saying is talent doesn't go away. Now you're like, oh, talent goes away? Unless you're a high school girl. Good point. Robert just stomping on dreams everywhere. Hey, no, I would say, will your dreams become reality? Well, not really, except for Josh Mathner. All right, thread number three, which we jumped over. Jim Walmsley's training week. Wow. Walmsley's got a lot of fans in Let's Run. I notice any thread about him is very popular. And Walmsley, the what's this claim to fame? Western States course. Western States holder. course record holder. All right, we're we're see. You're getting Done, all that Hoka me. advertising paid off. Uh, and the 50 mile world record holder, world best holder. But he's running the Olympic marathon trials. I thought it was American record. It was a 50 record? mile, yeah, but like no one really runs oh, 50, 50 miles abroad, so, you know. Okay. But yeah. big training week, and it's interesting to see how an ultra guy is attacking Olympic marathon trials. Jim couldn't got a, a better marathon course for an ultra runner to do the trials. Super hilly Atlanta. I mean, I'm sure Jim wishes they hadn't taken it from four loops to three loops and kept a really steep hill in there. That would have been an even better course for him, but it'd be really interesting to see what he does. Uh, you know, uh, making the team obviously a huge, huge, huge long shot, but I think he could surprise some people there. And number five, Nike's ultimate irony, irony, the cheater flies destroyed Rupp's career. What do you guys think of that? There's this idea that the, these shoes, you know, the, it changes, there's some oscillation stuff. Maybe it changes like the pressure on your Achilles. Like he's been hurt. Amy Craig's been Amy hurt. Amy Craig's been hurt. But I, runners get hurt all the time, so I think it might be a bit simplistic now to like attribute to the shoes. But it, the body is not used to racing with that sort of stack height, so I, th- I think it's a valid concern. Syracuse runner, one of the female runners in the in the regional, slipped on the ice because she's so high up. She had to have surgery, so she slipped on the ice because it was icy, Robert. Yeah, it's a different. Well, 
Maybe blame the vapor foil. Lawyers, if you're looking for a suit. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to jump down. A few weeks ago, I thought, like, oh, New Balance athletes are screwed. Well, New Balance doesn't sponsor really – I thought they didn't sponsor male marathoners. I mean, they're really focused on women and track. Callum Hawkins, just named to the Olympic team, fourth at the last two world championships. Okay, in the U.S., they just don't sponsor long-distance running runners. Yeah, yeah. Men, men in particular. Yeah. But number nine, guy wearing New Balance's prototype smashes British 40-plus marathon record. So all you non-Nike athletes, there's hope. All right, there is a topic that came up that's listed here. I don't know exactly. It was Maybe it was taken from the message boards or whatever. I think it's a fascinating one of the discussion. Tangentially running-related, which pro sport would you be exposed in the quickest? And that is if you're just some random guy pulled from the street and then you're thrown into a professional sport, how quickly would you be exposed as just not being world-class? I have a very strong feeling about the answer to this question, but I will throw it to you guys first. Which sport do you think is is the answer here? It's going to be major pro sport? Or can we throw track in there? I mean, track... Pro tr- track, track counts. Track counts. I mean, track really depends on the event. Some guy may be able to sprint like the first 100 of a 10K and maybe stay relevant. Track, you're going to be exposed pretty quickly. But I think that there's an obvious one for major pro sports, hockey, ice hockey. Most people can't skate. That's a, that's a good one. I mean, my my take, I see this happens all the time. It's the 100-meter dash. You see it at the Olympics when you get the heats of the universality places. So you've got people from like these random tiny places like Kiribati and, you know, Tuvalu and Vanuatu and... I think those are all real places that you throw them in a race and they're just immediately exposed as being horribly, horribly slow. And you, you know it from the gun. Like if these guys are going up against Christian Coleman, you would tell within one second that they don't belong there. And I think that is the, just the quickest way of being exposed. Maybe a hockey player. You could, it's true. Yeah. You, in terms of like absolute, yeah, I'm like, Oh, it would take a little while. No, it would take about two seconds for sprinting. You'd be exposed. Hockey, the gun, the gun might go off. Whatever the horn may sound, or whatever they do, and I got to get up on my hockey now that I'm living in the Northeast. And it might take a while. You could sort of like stand there in position and <laughs> act like you know what you're doing. You might get five seconds. We we need we should start a thread about just this topic because I actually found this. This was at the bottom of a post about the Edmonton Oilers. I think it was a post. I'm asking the hypothetical. If the Edmonton Oilers held up one mile time trial, they want to know how many people could run like a six minute mile. And the message board poster AP5000 is the one who posted this. And um, well, I guess people had already discussed it. He said, I couldn't agree more about hockey. I played for 12 years and every kid's dream of playing in the NHL. The game is so fast now, it's unbelievable. Oh, no. So this is what he said. He's the one that brought up the question. Here it is. There was a question on a local sports TL talk show about which sport would you be found out in the quickest if a regular guy showed up. Evan agreed you could hide the longest in soccer because you can run around until you got the ball, got to the ball, and then even then you could kick it down the pitch. Baseball, you could play right field, but then you'd be found out as soon as you swung in the pitch. Golf, it is conceivable you could play a good first hole and not be noticed. The NBA would be second fastest discovery that you're a random guy, but you could run around a bit. The fastest in hockey. You step on that ice, and in three seconds you'll be found out. Dot, dot, dot. And God help you if that puck finds you and you double around with it inevitably with your head down because you'll most certainly end up in the hospital. The only other one would be track and field from the 400 meters down and under. 
Anyways, the point is hockey's are absurdly good athletes, and I believe most people are grossly underestimating their aerobic engines and endurance. I'd be shocked if half couldn't run a 5.30 mile, 25% under... If half didn't run around 5.30, 25% around... He must have meant 75% around under 6, and the rest easily under 6.20. So, pretty interesting there. I, I think, guys, in baseball, I think you could you, I, I think you could fake it for the whole game as long as they didn't hit the ball to you. You play right field, and then when you come up to bat, you do a couple check swings. As long as you're not scared. You got to do, do a couple batting practices. Hopefully, Try you don't to bunt. Everyone... Like, just fake even the pro bunt. players can't always fake get like the you're gonna bunt. I would do a check swing like one. I, Just don't swing. You know, do a couple. Ch- they might throw a few balls. Oh, nice eye. Walk. You know, maybe you walk and you fool someone. You know. Uh, yeah. When I when I was I played baseball and I played right field because I was terrible and John they, John John the ball like never. Look. All right. Here's here's my defense. I moved here in fifth grade. End of fifth grade. I took up baseball in sixth grade, spring of sixth grade. At that point, all the kids have learned the fundamentals. They're not teaching the game anymore. They're just throwing you into the baseball. Didn't you learn cricket? And I get picked on a team. My coach doesn't know that I don't know anything about baseball. He doesn't teach me any of the fundamentals. They just throw me out there and it's basically sink or swim. And I'm like, I don't know how to hit. I don't know how to field. I don't know how to do any of this. I don't know how to freaking slide. Like... I'm just, I don't know. I was very, that's, look, I'm not a good athlete, but I was very frustrated that I was at a disadvantage because I never learned any of the fundamentals of that game. John, that's a you problem or a parenting problem. Why didn't someone go up to the coach? I'm always amazed at these questions. People don't, there's no communication in this world. Why don't you go up to the coach? Hey, I'm new to this country. I don't know how to throw. Can you help to teach me the fundamentals? Or your parents explain to the coach. Instead, you were crying quietly near your I probably should have. I was kind of worried. I didn't want to be found out or exposed, but. Okay, that brings us to another question. We've got an email this week. People want to know what Jonathan Galt's PRs are. And that inspired me with the, with the Vaporfly thought to think, well, I'll, I'll give out Jonathan's PR. I know it's 2943 for 10,000 meters. Is that correct, John? I say I know it. In the That's minute. right. 2013 Mount Sac Relays. And he also ran 2959 the year before. So he's a two-time sub-30 guy. Wasn't a one-off. Now, what about 5,000 or 3,000? 5,000, uh, 1425 indoors at BU. So apply whatever conversion you want to apply there. Uh, 3K was 824. I think that might have been from the Dartmouth track, though. I was in, I could have run faster if I got a good shot at that. I need to look up my TFOS profile. Okay, so I, I, I ran this 2943 through the McMillan calculator, John. It's equivalent to a 219.18 marathon. Now, I'm assuming McMillan hasn't updated his calcula- calculator for the vapor flies. You put on a Vaporfly, John. You're 217 easily. So, 218 easily. John, should we pay for you to have a year-long, maybe two-year-long sabbatical? I mean, shit, you can still train and run for Let's Run. But we give you like a $25,000 cash bonus if you qualify for the trials and agree to be drug tested once once a week. $25,000 bonus for making the trials. At this point, uh, it, it would take me so long to get back. Like... I had to work my ass off to get in twenty nine forty three shape. It would take me so long just to get back at that level, and I'm you know I'm twenty eight years old now. It's not like I'm you know I still have time, but that'd be, I might need more than a year to get to a trials qualifier. Uh, be well, that's tough. why I said two years, one year to get back into training fitness, and then. But then I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to do if I'm just taking a sabbatical. I wouldn't be able to do my job. I love my. No, job. I, I figured out you have time. It only takes you three hours a day to run. So, if that. Yeah, but I no, but I I don't know. I spend 
I think I spend more time working than you think, Robert, because I'll wake up and I'll be like, oh, I have all this stuff to do and I have commitments. And it always seems like you're like, oh, you're, you work from home. You would think like it's easy. And I guess maybe I'm not as, as driven as some other people who hold down a full-time job and run all this elite stuff, but it's hard. I don't know. I, I have other stuff to do. I like to watch football. I like to do stuff on the weekends. Like that's, that's the problem, John. First of all, yeah, you don't have time. To My do- priorities are out of whack. Yeah. Sports takes up a lot of, a lot of time. Because I, I realized that when I when I I used to do Let's Run and Cornell at the same time somehow, obviously our coverage on Let's Run wasn't as in depth and as it is now. And people are like, oh, don't you have much more time? I'm like, no, I have less time. Like, why? Because I'm like, well, I spend more time watching sports now than I used to at actually track practice. I got a money making idea for John, and feed me the tip jar. That's the money making idea. Oh yes, everybody, tips. Holiday season is here. Tip jar right now. Hit the tip jar. We'll give John his tips before the end of the year. But also, John, you can start a consulting business for kids who come from overseas here, like, learn American sports. Yeah, don't be like me. I could have been a Major League Baseball player if I had just learned the fundamentals. But I don't know if foreign parents or, like, American parents will do anything for their kids, you know, athletic success. So, speaking of kids' athletic success, we're going to have the high school national champion, Josh Methner, on the show next week. So, look forward to that. Guys, anything else from this one? No, I think. Happy holidays. Oh, I guess... No, this won't be... Well, we got to figure out when we're recording next week. I think we need to record before Christmas, because after Christmas, I'm going to England to see Brighton kick some ass. So, uh, probably record on Monday. So, this won't be our last... We'll have another one to get you through the holiday period, but this will get you through your shopping. You know, again, check out... If you want a great gift idea, Amazon gift card, amazon.com slash let's run. You get $50 and $15 for let's yourself. Let's slash Amazon. <laughs> I should, I should have thought. I'm like, Amazon gave us this link at the end of it, or is like that's crazy. No, let's slash Amazon. I'm, I apologize. And also Normatec, uh, they make great recovery uh, sleeves, or you know the, the inflatable sleeves on your legs. So check those out as well, guys. Also, the podcast has a new URL: podcast.letsrun.com. If you want to give us feedback, eight four four Let's Run option seven. If you want to be on the podcast, come on, we need holiday people calling in. But also, you can leave us leave us feedback. I'm going to pay for the upgrade on the host. So you can leave feedback right there on podcast.letsrun.com. It'll, it, it'll make it easier. It'll make it easier. But also, we really want the feedback on Apple iTunes. Five stars. I'm the father. For the father, or being the father, for the son and the Holy Ghost, Weldon Johnson, signing off.